Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I need 90 minutes of your time. If you'll give me that much time, I'll give you the world where our broadcast partners are stationed and ready to give us the details behind the headlines that are happening in this world. We're going to have Sharom Hadian come. We're going to be talking about the Muslims and the election the so-called Biden election as president. I say that's so-called because it's really not being confirmed. I'm not taking a political stand. I'm simply saying the truth, and that's exactly what we all need to be doing. Well, we're going to begin our tour of talking with our broadcast partners by going to Ken Timmerman. And Ken, I want to go to the Middle East because the Saudis are very much alarmed at the prospect that a Joe Biden presidency will be that they will rejoin the Iranian nuclear deal. Now, it may not be a big deal as far, and I no pun intended, a big deal as far as Biden is concerned, but it is a big deal for the Saudis, isn't it? Well, it really is a big deal, Jimmy. Should a Biden administration resurrect this failed Iran deal, uh, remove U.S. sanctions, give Iran once again a pathway to make nuclear weapons, it will have dramatic repercussions, not just for the United States, not just for Iran, not just for Israel, but all of Iran's neighbors in the Middle East and for Europe as well because Europe will be within firing distance, within range of Iran's nuclear-tipped or potentially nuclear-tipped ballistic missiles. Here's the irony of all of this. The Saudis will, in all likelihood, get closer to Israel as a result. And they're already making signals of that this week. Uh, while the Saudi king did congratulate Joe Biden for his apparent win, or at least the, the media uh, acknowledged win as president, uh, the Saudis at the same time are going to meet with the Israelis. And you could see a Saudi-Israeli partnership, perhaps not as members of the Abraham Accords, but a partnership that is much more open than what we've had so far, and that could involve military cooperation against Iran. I believe that we are heading into very dangerous times these next couple of weeks, there was a report a few days ago that President Trump had asked his intelligence agencies and the Pentagon for possible war plans against Iran, or at least strike plans against Iranian nuclear sites. Uh, this is something that uh, the Saudis would in all likelihood favor. They have been pushing President Trump for years to launch an attack on Iran, and the president has refused to do so saying that there had not been an Iranian attack on the U.S. But now uh, he's sending his uh, chief Middle East uh, advisor, Elliot Abrams, to Saudi Arabia this coming week. Abrams will also visit Israel. He will visit the United Arab Emirates, from what I understand. And on the table will clearly be uh, some type of measures that the U.S. can take in conjunction with the Saudis and our Arab allies against Iran in the prospect of a Biden presidency. In other words, something that we could do together with our allies to forestall any Biden loosening of sanctions and re resumption of the Iran nuclear deal. 
Well, Ken, I had heard that that was a viable possibility that President Trump would give the command to go ahead and do that. However, his aides had talked him out of it, but you're saying it's still on the table, could happen very quickly. I, I think it is still on the table, and I think that's how I read this visit by Elliot Abrams to the Middle East next week. And, you know, the other thing that I've got to comment on is that uh, no sooner had the president asked his intelligence chiefs and the Pentagon for potential uh, strike plans against Iranian nuclear sites that it was leaked to the New York Times. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why the president fired Pentagon Chief Esper, you know, the Secretary of Defense uh, Esper, and replaced him with somebody from the National Security Council who is a former CIA officer, but also a trusted collaborator of the president. Ken, you know, it's interesting to me that the Arab nations out there are warning the incoming Biden administration, if indeed that is what happens, they had better not embrace the Islamists. What do you know about that? Well, that's right. Both the Saudis and the Egyptians have had contacts with people close to Biden and have said, look, we saw what happened when Obama was president. You took sides with the Muslim Brotherhood. You helped to spark the Arab Spring, which has been a catastrophe, not just for governments, but for people all across the Arab world. Uh, look at Libya. Libya today is still a wreck. It is a smoking ruin because of Obama and Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden's support for the Arab Spring. So the Egyptians and the Saudis are, are telling these people close to Biden, look, please do not do this again. We will not allow you to get away with it. Now, what will they do to forestall a potential U.S. government cozying up to the Muslim Brotherhood? Good question. Will they help regimes in place? Quite possibly. There was no response from Arab leaders in 2011 when Obama clearly swung behind the Muslim Brotherhood. This time they are forewarned. They can see what a catastrophe that policy would be. And I think that is, is why they're warning an incoming Biden administration, should there be one. Uh, that they will take action to prevent a U.S. alliance with the Muslim Brotherhood. And at the same time that the world is concerned about a nuclear-powered Iran, I get a report out of Iraq that the Iraqi militia are acquiring all types of weapons, rockets and munitions and every type of weapon they might need to try to take over Iraq from the Iranians. Now, this is not very good for the stability of the Middle East, is it, Ken? No, and, and people need to understand the powers who have been really heartened by a Biden victory in the United States are not friends of the United States. Uh, Russia has been emboldened and pleased by the uh, apparent election results. China has been pleased by the apparent election results. Iran is exulting, and they are, as you mentioned, they are beefing up the missile and strike capabilities of those militias in Iraq in the hopes of driving the United States out completely from Iraq, not just to reduce our presence, as President Trump has said we're going to do, but to drive us out completely. So this is very dangerous. This is why I say we are entering dangerous times. The Muslim Brotherhood is happy. The Palestinian leadership is happy with this potential Biden victory. All of America's enemies seem to be happy. What's wrong with this picture, folks? Indeed, what is wrong with that picture? Well, we're talking about Iran. Let me just bring this story to your attention as well, Ken. 
It's being told that Iran has a truly ridiculous stockpile of missiles. In other words, so many they don't know what to do with. Maybe that's why they're selling some of them to the Iraqi militia. But this stockpile, along with the possibility of a nuclear warhead, sounds dangerous to me. What are your thoughts? Well, it is. And, and the Iranians many, many years ago made a strategic decision to neglect their conventional war capabilities, to not buy you know, thousands of tanks and artillery pieces and all of that. This is, of course, after their eight-year war with Saddam Hussein was finished. And instead to invest in, in unconventional warfare, to invest in ballistic missiles, to invest in short, shorter-range rockets, standoff weapons, coastal missiles, uh, missiles that could attack U.S. warships in the Strait of Hormuz, uh, these fast-attack boats that could swarm American ships in the Strait of Hormuz, but they're not buying fighter jets in big quantities. They're not buying main battle tanks. They're putting their money in missiles and standoff weaponry. And, yes, I think as they have ramped up those production capabilities, they have been encouraged to just spread them anywhere they possibly can as a way of creating mischief for the United States and for our ally Israel. As we've said many, many times on this program, there are 150 thousand Iranian missiles in Lebanon pointed at Israel. There are many thousands in Gaza pointed at Israel. There are uh, many thousands in Syria pointed at Israel. And now you have uh, them also being pointed at Israel and U.S. bases around the region in Iraq. Well, and in fact, I've been reading reports, Ken, that Iran's army is pretty strong as it relates to an army on the ground. But really, that's not what we should be so much concerned about as the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, which seems to be the main threat, the real power broker. What can you tell us? Well, that's right. So the Iranians have invested in the IRGC, the Revolutionary Guards Corps. They've invested especially in the Quds Force, which is the overseas expeditionary arm, again, as part of their unconventional weapons strategy, unconventional forces strategy. Rather than go head-to-head with the United States, soldier for soldier, unit for unit, they try to go around the obstacles to attack us through terrorism, with IEDs, with uh, standoff missiles. That is their strategy. It's unconventional warfare. It's terrorism, which they use uh, as an arm of their foreign policy. Just quickly, if you will, I understand there's going to be a Russian movement to build a naval base there in Sudan, which may well be a crucial step in restoring Russian maritime power. This is not looking good. Well, i got to say, I was a bit taken aback reading that report, Jimmy, especially since Sudan has now been taken off the U.S. terrorism list. We have some juice in Sudan, and I think it's... uh, a time for the president to use that juice. We don't want to see a Russian naval base in the Red Sea. Ken Timmerman always gives us insight into all of the activities, geopolitical events happening around this world that would be key for us to understand how these events may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Ken, next week we're going to interview you about how you decided to write your book. I'm excited to hear what you're going to say to me, how you got the idea. We'll do that if everybody will come back. But thank you so much for this week. We'll look forward to next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. A great pleasure. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we have standing by David Dolan, his Middle East News Update. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. By the way, when you're at my website, go to my Prophecy Bookstore, a special deal for Christmas from Prophecy Today. We have the Prophetic Book Essential 3-Pack. Now, that is great because these three books are essential for your understanding of Bible prophecy. The book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, and the book of Revelation. Those are the three books. I have commentaries written on all three of these, the most important books in the Bible prophetically because all other prophetic passages of Scripture dovetail into these three books. Each one addresses God's plan for a different strand of the human family. Daniel for the Gentiles, Ezekiel for the Jews, and Revelation for the Christians. In this special offer, you will receive my studies of these three special books, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelation, Daniel, a prophet to the Gentiles, Ezekiel, the man in the message, and Revelation, a chronology. Normal price, $45. We're going to give it to you for only $30. Let me remind you to buy right now. And by the way, when you're thinking about it, please prayerfully consider making us a part of your end-of-the-year giving. Those who partner with us keep the ministry of Prophecy Today moving forward. To donate your tax-deductible gift, please visit prophecytoday.com forward slash partners or call us at 8prophecy8, that's 877-674-3298. And thank you very much. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. This is the broadcast before Thanksgiving, so let me just say have a blessed Thanksgiving with your family or whoever you're going to come together with according to the regulation of the state you may be receiving this broadcast from. Our family is going to do what we're supposed to do, wear face masks, we're going to distance, we're going to wash our hands, but we're going to come together, and we're going to have a time with the family, and it's going to be a thankful time. So that's my report, and I'm going to stick by it. (laughs) But uh, many people are really concerned about how they're going to spend Thanksgiving. Tell you what we're going to do, though, right now, as I promised, we're going to David Dolan. Uh, David is in a safe place. David, you're pretty safe as far as the coronavirus, are you not? I am, Jimmy. I have family nearby that live nearby, but uh, we've been discussing the same thing, whether we'll actually get together in person or just uh, eat our turkey separately and uh, wave at each other. We'll see (laughs) what we finally decide. But uh, we have quite an outbreak in our area here uh, in the last few weeks. The hospitals are very stressed, so probably we'll just each stay in our own homes this Thanksgiving. Well, have a safe Thanksgiving and a blessed Thanksgiving as well. David, uh, let me talk to you about the visit, a very interesting visit from Mike Pompeo. He's the Secretary of State for the United States. He not only visited Israel, he went into Judea and Samaria. Update us. Well, yes, and also the Golan Heights. But uh, the first visit was uh, to Sogot. That's a Jewish settlement very close to Ramallah, just north of Jerusalem. 
And they have a beautiful winery there, Jimmy. I've been by it before. I have friends that live near there. He went and visited it. Now, it may have helped that they named a wine after him uh, a couple years ago. So he was given a ceremonial bottle of that, and he toured the place. And he spoke about the reality, once again, as he's done before, that hundreds of thousands of Jews live in their biblical heartland, Judea and Samaria. It's just a fact. It's not going to be reversed. Uh, They're almost all on land that was not being used by Palestinians or Arabs before that, and the Arabs are still in their homes nearby. And uh, we should settle this thing, is essentially what he said while there. So very much welcomed by the Israelis, of course. And then uh, they flew up in a Black Hawk helicopter he did with the Defense Minister of Israel to the Golan Heights, uh, the first sitting Secretary of State to do that, and again said President Trump was crucial in bringing this into the Israeli orbit in the sense of recognizing Israeli control over it. Of course, the rest of the world hasn't done that. And President Biden, uh, if he becomes president, may reverse that. So we'll see. But a very historic visit uh, by Mike Pompeo. I like what he had to say. He said, I hope that I am not the last Secretary of State to visit Judea and Samaria and the Golden Heights. Well, he was not the only visitor The officials from Bahrain came in, and actually the three, Prime Minister Netanyahu, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and the leaders, the political leaders of Bahrain came together to actually submit the new ties with these people, the Bahrainians and the Israelis, and uh, made promises about putting embassies up in each of these countries representing the other nation and the visa situation as well. Update us on that. Well, yes, it was uh, also historic to have uh, Bahrain's foreign minister and other regional leaders, uh, Rashid al-Zayani, came. And his comments were uh, that this has been long in the making, and we're glad to have peace with Israel. But he also had a word for Joe Biden, advising the former vice president that if he becomes president, that the situation in the Middle East has changed in the last four years, and the dynamics have changed, he said, and that any new deal with Iran, nuclear deal, must also include uh, its ballistic missile program and its uh, other activities, nefarious activities in the region. So a warning shot to the incoming Biden administration if that happens, that these regional states have made peace and they're not going to reverse that, that it's in America's interest as well as Israel's, as well as their own countries. And uh, to hear those words again coming from a country that just a couple months ago was officially an enemy of Israel uh, was also very historic. So it was a great day for Israel to see all of this happening. And that warning coming from the Bahrainian official. But I want to ask you this, David. Does Israel have a plan to influence the Biden administration, especially as it relates to Iran? Do you know what they're planning to do going in that direction? Well, actually, Prime Minister Netanyahu phoned uh, Joe Biden to congratulate him again uh, this week and also to talk about some of these regional issues. We didn't uh, hear the conversation, but undoubtedly Iran was at the very, very top of the list. And, uh, Jimmy, we've had other Democratic senators and Democratic congressmen that are more pro-Israel say that, uh, you know, any re-entrance to this deal must be done in a different way. It must include the things that were left out in 2015. 
So I think the incoming administration will have to take a broader view and will have to renegotiate this. Uh, again, Israel doesn't want to see Iran with nuclear weapons. They would love a deal that would really stop such weapons. But if at the same time they still have the centrifuges in place, which they were allowed under the previous deal, then they can go right back at it the next day if they want, and that's what happened. Also, they've been developing their ballistic missile program and uh, doing all sorts of nefarious things. So that just seems logical that it be renegotiated at the very least. And these uh, other Arab countries are even saying, we might just skip this whole thing at all, because, the, you know, they just have no trust in Iran to keep to any deal, and the Israelis obviously are very, very wary of that as well. You mentioned earlier, David, that uh, the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, went into the Golan Heights. He went there with the Minister of Defense, Benny Gantz, who is supposedly to be Prime Minister as Netanyahu and Gantz change positions in the very near future. However, there's some other activities going on in the Golden Heights. Looks like the Iranians placed some bombs there. So therefore, the Israeli Defense Force had a strike on the Iranian military sites there in Syria. Give us an update. Well, Jimmy, this goes along with what I spoke about last week, the growing indications that Iran is trying to provoke some sort of a major military action, probably before President Trump leaves office, if indeed that happens. Yes, there were these roadside uh, improvised bombs. Actually, they think it was Syrian soldiers that crossed in and planted them. But uh, it was uh, Iran that was uh, behind it, they think, or at least pushing for it, and probably time to have one or two explosions just before uh, Mike Pompeo would tour the area. They knew already that he was planning to go up there. At any rate, Israel defused all those bombs and then launched uh, air raids against uh, eight targets in Syria. Uh, including the Glass House, it's called Headquarters Building of the Iranian Military at the Damascus Airport or near it, and other targets up and down southern Syria. That's the largest air operation we've seen in some time. And, of course, it also came, Jimmy, after I think it was Sunday night when two rockets were fired from Hamas's positions in the Gaza Strip, one of them for the first time in some time aimed at Tel Aviv. Uh, it was coming down in Bat Yam, a southern suburb of Tel Aviv, but thankfully the Iron Dome got that one and also another headed towards, uh, once again, the port of Ashdod. So all of these indications that Iran is trying to stir up the pot in the area, but Israel's not sitting on its hands, and even though they were condemned by Syria and, you know, there's, uh, the Syrian military fired back upon their jets and they could have lost uh, an aircraft or whatever, they're going to defend their country, and they're not going to allow these sorts of provocative actions to go on without a response. And, of course, the IDF did hit at Hamas positions after those rockets in the Gaza Strip. David, we have about 30 seconds. Respond, if you will, to the very interesting story coming from a journalist, a Saudi Arabian journalist, who has exposed a Palestinian lie saying that Al-Aqsa Mosque is not on the Temple Mount. What do you know about that? Well, Jimmy, we just it's it's just such a fantasy what we hear from the radical uh, Muslims, not just Palestinians but others concerning the Temple Mount. I mean, there was a Jewish temple there. Al-Aqsa is up there. It was a Byzantine church that they converted into a mosque. Uh, it's been excavated, and all of this is historic fact. It's 
just ridiculous some of the things we hear and it's good to hear some of the more moderate arabs recognizing some of the foolish things that have come out of some mouths uh, concerning the temple mount not just recently but for some time david dolan the man who covers the middle east with his middle east news update this is a key report for those of us who are students of bible prophecy and next week after thanksgiving the program we're going to talk to david about how he got involved being a journalist in the middle east we're going to find out some personal things about our broadcast partner david looking forward to having that conversation have a great thanksgiving we'll talk again next week i'm looking forward to it as well jimmy have a good turkey and uh, god bless we're going to take a break when we come back winky madad is going to compare Hanukkah, that's a Jewish holy day coming up in December, and Thanksgiving. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. As promised, I'm going to bring Winky Madad to my broadcast table. This is a man that we go to to talk about Israeli politics, Israeli history, Jewish settlement activity, and activities on the Temple Mount in preparation for the next Jewish temple to be built there seemingly in the very near future. And Winky, I'm going to talk to you about something else, a relationship between our Thanksgiving upcoming next week and the holy Jewish time of Hanukkah. We'll do that in a moment. Uh, But uh, earlier this week, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo came into Israel to visit with the Prime Minister But at the same time, he went up into the area of Judea and Samaria, which is referred to by many as the West Bank. Is not this the very first time a Secretary of State has visited a Jewish settlement in that area? Well, Jimmy, I would have to say I think so. Of course, you and I know that Ramallah, for example, is also technically in Judea and Samaria, and we've had some secretaries of state visit Mr. Arafat and Mr. Abbas. But if you talk about a Jewish uh, location, then yes, Mike Pompeo was the first to come to a... Uh, actually, it was a commercial and industrial center called the Gate of Benjamin, or the Gate to Benjamin, just outside of Pesagot, where the Pesagot Winery is located. 
he happens to be personal friends with people involved in the winery, and he came for a short visit. That is an outstanding statement by Mike Pompeo and therefore the United States of America as to how the Trump administration stands with the Jewish settlers, uh, many of them out there in Judea and Samaria. It's a blessing to you living there in Shiloh, is it not? Of course it is, Jimmy. I would have to agree with you fully. I managed to get a look at the picture that was taken of the, uh, I think you call it the guest book, you know, where guests leave some, some of their thoughts upon coming into an institution or an event. And uh, I'm paraphrasing, but he said it was a blessing to be in the land of Judea and Samaria. And he hopes that he won't be the last Secretary of State to come to visit the region. Since, Jimmy, you and I know that many of our audience, of course, if not 100%, happen to be of the Christian faith, anybody reading the New Testament or, or the Bible or the scriptures, well, those are the names of this land, Judea and Samaria. It appears both in the Old and the New Testament. And so Mike Pompeo was just making sure he knew exactly where he was. And I certainly praise the Lord for that visit by Mike Pompeo, who claims to be a born-again Bible-believing Christian, which would cause him to believe what God's Word says about this area, this piece of real estate that God has promised the Jewish people. Well, I opened up saying we were going to compare Hanukkah with Thanksgiving. Now, Christians this next week are going to be sitting at the table, many of them, some not going to be able to get together with their family, but however, they're going to be able to give thanksgiving to the Lord for what has been happening in their lives this last year. Now, thinking about that, as I look at the Jewish feast days, Leviticus chapter 23 and other passages of Scripture, I have to recognize that there's not really one that's called Thanksgiving Day, but Hanukkah is pretty close to that. There's a lot of Thanksgiving going on at that time, and a festive time, is it not? It is, Jimmy. I want to first point out, of course, that the festival of Hanukkah recalls events that took place about 160, 165 before the Common Era, which is actually outside the biblical chronology. So I want to make sure that all our listeners know uh, that Jews living in the land of Israel, specifically Judea and Samaria, it's not only a biblical, it's an ongoing historical event of the Jews living in our homeland throughout the centuries. The second point I want to make is the holiday of, or the festival of Hanukkah, celebrates what we call the rededication of the temple, which had been defiled by the Syrian Greeks who had invaded uh, the country, took it over, and then went into the Temple Mount and the temple. So, of course, there is a parallel there of thanksgiving, both, I think, on a spiritual level and on a physical level, when we think about when we give thanks for our well-being and, and our ability to to live well, all these things on any level, uh, you can compare the two holidays that there is an element of Thanksgiving. And third, Jimmy, is we eat. In order (laughs) to feel good, uh, we have to appreciate what God gives us. And both 
Thanksgiving and Hanukkah have elements of uh, cuisine, shall we say, involved in them. You better believe it, and I'm looking forward to our Thanksgiving dinner with our family. We're all going to be going down to Florida to celebrate with my wife's family. Judy has all of her family in Tallahassee, and our family coming in, and we're going to get together. However, we will be spaced, we will have masks on, and we're going to be outdoors eating, so that should be the best we can possibly do. Uh, I'm so grateful for that insight that you've just given us. In fact, let me just translate a little bit for our Christian friends. Hanukkah actually was a result of what took place when Antiochus Epiphanes foretold in Daniel chapter 11, when Antiochus Epiphanes went into the temple, desecrated the temple, and then caused the Jews to have to slaughter pigs instead of lamb or goats on the altar there at the temple. And, of course, they defeated. The Maccabees rose up, defeated Antiochus Epiphany, ran him out of town, and they reconsecrated the temple, and they had a menorah there to light it for, well, it was supposed to be lighted enough olive oil for one day. It stayed lighted for some eight days, thus the Feast of Hanukkah. And we'll talk more about it as we get a bit closer. It's coming up on the Jewish calendar, December 10 through 18. You know, it's been very difficult during this time of coronavirus, Winky, to be able to celebrate. It's been the same. The last time you had real freedom in celebration of the Jewish Holy Days was about a year ago at the time of Hanukkah as well. Looks like it's going to be pretty restricted this Hanukkah for the Jewish people also, isn't it? It will be, Jimmy. We're right now in Israel trying to come out of our second uh I guess you have to call it closed down or restrictions. And we're trying to hold all the elements in place so that we can open up more things, but it's very difficult. And I must say that I really think it's a matter of people having enough discipline and willingness to undertake responsibility for their own actions. A lot of people, I think both in Israel and especially in the United States, seem to be blaming government for everything, when actually it's the people who have to do the thing that has to be right. And I'm amazed because I grew up in America and I studied political science, the Constitution, and other elements of American democracy, and there all the power is in the people. So why don't the people take themselves in their hands and realize that there are medical reasons for doing things, it's not that hard to accomplish, and eventually science in the form of vaccination and other elements will hopefully, through God's guidance, of course, uh, pull us out of this pandemic and get us on the road to recovery, both physically, medically, and uh, financially and economically. Yes, indeed, that's our prayer as well. Winky, I'm just thrilled that you brought out the attention that the time of the beginning or the origins of Hanukkah was in between times which are recorded in the Bible, which gives us absolutely tangible evidence that the Jewish people have been in that land, not only during the time of Hanukkah, but 4,000 years, which is key to our understanding the end times as it relates to 
Bible prophecy. Well, Winky, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I'm thankful for many things, the opportunity to be able to talk with you. And I'm sure the Jewish people over this last year are thankful for the fact that they can look back and see Jerusalem is now the political capital, according to the United States, of the Jewish people. Embassy moved there, and preparations for that next temple to be rebuilt, everything going well there. Those are great things to be thankful for, aren't they? Yes, Jimmy, and if I can echo uh, another of uh, Secretary Pompeo's decisions that he announced today that anything we grow and produce here in Judea and Samaria will be labeled by the United States as made in Israel. So everything is coming up uh, as uh, the prophecies have uh, had it in the sense of return uh, to the land and its name, the original name of, of the land. And we have friends in high places who understand, I think, the destiny of the Jewish people in its land. Praise the Lord for that. Well, Winky, thank you so much for this conversation. I'm sure as we get at the time of Hanukkah, I'll have another conversation with you, and down the road we'll keep getting together. But we always appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk with you. Thank you, Winky. Jimmy, again, a pleasure and a privilege talking with you. And goodbye to you and to our listeners. Very important conversation with Winky Madad comparing Hanukkah, which is a upcoming Jewish holy day, December 10 to 18, and Thanksgiving, our holy day, our holiday here in the United States of America. I enjoyed every conversation that I have with Winky as always a very pleasant time. So thank you, Winky, for being a part of our broadcast team. Well, John Root is the man who covers the European Union. Next week, I want to get into how John started covering the European Union. He lived in Brussels, Belgium. We'll do that next week. So let me just alert you. Be sure to listen to the program after Thanksgiving. It's going to be an interesting conversation with John and all of our broadcast partners to get some of their background. John, let's begin with this story. European Union leaders are calling for unity with the United States against China. That's an interesting development. Yes, this has been in the face of the election, of course. Uh, Europe is seeing themselves working with Joe Biden. Of course, that's not certified as of now. But it has been seen and perceived that uh, Joe Biden is soft on China. So European leaders are calling for a unity with the U.S. against China, of course, defending their own interests. And the French and German foreign ministers are working in to consult together and seeing that the United States still doesn't have their values, but they're looking to working together to further their own political needs. We'll stay on top of that story for sure. John, there's a question coming out of Israel. The European Union is sending aid to the Palestinians, and the Israeli leadership wants to know where that aid is actually going. Can you give us any further information? It's always interesting to see that the European Union doesn't even know where their own money goes within Europe, and uh, the budget has never balanced in Europe. So when they are giving hundreds of millions of dollars in aid to the Palestinian Authority, you can imagine there's not a lot of accountability there. 
they say there's auditors and so forth, but uh, something has come up that just shows how meaningless some of these figures are because the Palestinian Authority now has uh, rejected the tax money that Israel collects for them because they're saying these agreements are not bound, but it's actually hurting themselves, creating a financial crisis. They've cut all of the salaries of the civil servants and the teachers by 50%. This is what the European Union pays, and yet those salaries are still cut, even though they're allotted and paid in full by the European Union. So it's certain that half of that money would go to other purposes. There's really no accountability with the money that comes to Palestinian Authority from the European Union. We here in America know that the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic, is intensifying at this time in history. However, WHO, World Health Organization, has issued a statement to Europe that they're going to face six more tough months of a coronavirus pandemic. They may well be pleased if it was only six months, but what can you tell us about this story? There's been a definite resurgence in uh, COVID cases in Europe. If you look at the graph, it's absolutely startling. The uh, European Commission president, Ursula von der Leyen, she said that the EU will probably approve two vaccines by the end of the year. But as you've noted, the uh, World Health Organization director is saying to prepare for a very tough six months. France is actually in a second national uh, lockdown right now. People that go out of their house are supposed to have a written statement justifying uh, their journey. Well, as you mentioned, France, I want to bring one final story to your attention. We've been talking about how the Islamic world there in France has been going after French people, the beheading some of them, etc. Macron, the president, has just issued an ultimatum to the French Muslims. What's that all about, John? Well, uh, President Macron has come up with this ultimatum. Of course, the situation is extremely tense, and uh, they're trying to delineate between Islam as a religion, as a political movement. So he actually has created a charter that the uh, French Muslim leaders are to sign. This is a group called the French Council of the Muslim Faith. And so they have 15 days to sign a document uh, denying that Islam is a political movement. When you look throughout history, and the history of Islam in Europe does not appear that this would be effective. So uh, what will happen in 15 days? Yeah, and I don't believe the Muslims are going to be able to sign that charter because they're not only a religious movement, but a political movement as well. That is worldwide. John Rood, the man who covers the European Union for us, he does a great job for us, and next week we're going to find out some of his background, how he got into this type of journalism. We'll do that when we talk with John next week. John, thank you so much, my good friend. Well, thank you, Jimmy, as always. Very important report coming out of the European Union. John Rood is our broadcast partner that covers this very unique region of the world. They will play in the future a major role in the end-time scenario that is found in Bible prophecy. That's why it's key to hear from John on a weekly basis. Well, a couple of weeks back, I talked with Sharam Hadian. He has a ministry, Till Project, 
Truth and Love, and his endeavor is to go among the Muslim world, trying to bring them to Jesus Christ, but also warning the church of what the Muslim world, here in America in particular, may mean in the future as far as the United States. We talked last time about that. Sharam was born actually in Iran, and after 27 years, he came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now here in America with an outstanding ministry. Tell us, Sharam, what the address of your website is, please, sir. Well, thank you, Dr. DeYoung. Our website is tilproject.com. T-I-L, that's Tom Ida Lincoln, the word project.com, which, of course, stands for Truth in Love, and that's the name of our ministry, Truth in Love Ministry. We've all been watching, Sharam, the elections unfold, and then the recounts or the questions about whether this was a valid legal election that did take place. We don't know how that result is ultimately going to come out. We'll just continue to watch from the sidelines to see what is happening. But the last time we talked, we talked about the Muslims and their influence in the election arena here in the United States. Now, let's talk about that. Did the Muslims have an influence in the U.S. political arena as it related to the activity of electing a president, which, of course, at this time, President-elect Joe Biden. We don't know that is the final uh, determination or not, but uh, did the Muslims play a role in this presidential election? Well, without a doubt, they have had a role, and they have a growing presence, because as we talked about last time on the program, Dr. DeYoung, they are politically have gone to another level. They, they, are, they have hyper-political activism now, by the claims of the Council on American-Islamic Relations Care and the rest of the Muslim Brotherhood organizations in America, their goal has been for several years to have one million Muslims vote in the election, particularly for president. And according to their own numbers, they claimed that they were very close to that, that 84% of Muslims voted in this year's election, and almost 70% of those went for Democrats. So... They are becoming a very powerful voice, and of course, they are working with their progressive leftist Democrats, socialist Marxist Democrats, in getting their way, and their way is what? Their way is to ultimately overthrow this republic, to come against this constitution. Again, this is their own stated words in the explanatory memorandum, the playbook of the Muslim Brotherhood, which says that they want to sabotage our miserable house from within. You mentioned the Muslim Brotherhood having lived in Jerusalem for over 29 years. I recognize that name. They're the granddaddy of all terrorist organizations that came to power in Egypt. And you have reported to us in the past of the presence of the Muslim Brotherhood here in America. Did they also? You mentioned them, but can you go more in depth about their part in the presidential election and other elections as well? Absolutely, absolutely. We have seen over the last number of years, first of all, in 2015, you saw the, the institution of a new political party that nobody really knows or understands called the USCMO, the United States Council of Muslim Organizations. This was basically their launch of a political party to advocate for Muslim agendas, uh, including the imposition of Sharia, in America. 
Then you have the Council of American Islamic Relations, who I already mentioned, CARE, very active and very much working to turn out that voter base, that Muslim voter base. Plus, also, you have the Islamic Society of North America, or ISNA, and the Islamic Circle of North America, ICNA, and it was at the ICNA Muslim American Society Conference a number of years back where Nihad Awad, the head of CARE, Dr. DeYoung, said that we are aligning ourselves with the left. Black Lives Matter is our matter, they said. Black Lives Matter is our campaign. We've seen Muslim Brotherhood operative Keith Ellison, the Attorney General in Minnesota, who is vocally uh, in support of Antifa, his son, who is on the Minneapolis City Council, vocally supportive of Antifa. And then, of course, recently, you have Ilhan Omar in the 5th District in Minnesota, who has come out not only against Trump supporters, but we know, based on a Project Veritas video, that there was ballot harvesting and criminal activity happening in her district uh, where they were going to these Muslims and getting them the support uh, and vote for Biden and vote for Democrats. So this is all stuff that is being exposed, that has to be exposed, but these are the organizations, Dr. DeYoung, that are hyper, hyperactive in American politics and getting more and more brazen. And if the ceiling of this election is allowed to stand, then a Biden administration will mean that the Islamic movement will go to the upper house in America within four years. That's my prediction, and it's a bold prediction. But I believe, based on the evidence, that's what's going to happen. I know that we had a number of candidates, Muslim candidates, for all levels of the United States political arena, from the local, state, and then even the national level, with some running for election for the House of Representatives or re-election in that area. Did Joe Biden come out and campaign for these Muslims to be elected in their positions that they were running for? Well, he, he didn't, uh, Joe Biden didn't come out and, and campaign for himself. <laughs> I mean, he was, he, was, he was spending too much time in his basement, but he did do videos. We, we, we know uh, of two or three different uh, webinars that he did online with these organizations. He did one for a group called M-Gage. He did another one for Muslim Power as another organization led by Linda Sarsour. And in these videos, and also Kamala Harris, came out and said that she would immediately support the Muslim community, undo the travel uh, bans the president has put into place. They would reverse the uh, cutting off of funding to the Palestinian Authority. If you remember, Trump cut off the funding to the Palestinian Authority and to Hamas and exposed that, so they would undo that. So they, maybe not overtly, but then certainly covertly and in a more looser way, uh, are supporting Muslim candidates. And in the M-Gage video, Biden was, was, was where he said that, you know, we need to teach more of Islam in the public schools and we need to be able to have, uh, and that he committed that he's going to have Muslims at every level of his administration. This is a very, very shocking statement. Sharam, last time we talked, you and I had a conversation about the fact that Joe Biden had promised the Muslim community here in America uh, that indeed when he put his administration together, should he be elected, that he would include at every level, from top to bottom, 
Muslims who would assist him in administering his four years as president of the United States. Now, as you have been watching president-elect, that's what they're calling him, Joe Biden, have you seen this starting to come to fruition? Do you think that's a possibility? Should he go into the White House, will he have these Muslims, like you're talking about, in every single level of his administration? Uh, w- w- without doubt, without doubt, doubt, Dr. Young. Now, I have not seen those signs quite yet. Yes, if that were to happen, it is very, very troubling. When you give these individuals that type of power, Dr. DeYoung, they will not ever give it back. Uh, They will get it entrenched, and they will then begin to move very rapidly. And by the way, one of the things that I expect to see with a Muslim uh, in the administration and having that kind of access is I think you're going to immediately see hate speech laws and executive orders and a Department of Justice that is going to be weaponized under a Biden-Harris uh, administration that will be way more weaponized than under Obama to come after individuals who they deem, you and I and others, who they deem as speaking hate, even though it is protected First Amendment speech. And that may well be the future for the United States of America. We'll have to stand by and see ultimately what the final result in the presidential election is going to be. But the reason we wanted to go to Sharam, we want you to understand what viable possibilities are in the next administration, if it is an administration of Joe Biden. Sharam, thank you so very much. Great information you've given us. Appreciate it. I'm sure we'll have to have another conversation down the road. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, Dr. DeYoung. God bless you all. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I've got one more broadcast partner, David James. He's standing by. That's after the top of the hour in the news. Keep the dial set where it is. You're listening to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here. Welcome back to Prophecy Today, the last half hour I did request 90 minutes. If you're here with us still at this time, you're just about to be able to fulfill my request. And one other thing I would like for you to do, if you'll go to my website, prophecytoday.com, we have a poll question I would love for you to answer. It's on the left-hand column. If you'll scroll down, you'll find it. Here's the question. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo made a historic visit to the Jewish settlements in Judea and Samaria this week. Do you believe that this visit to Judea and Samaria is a definite sign of America's commitment to the Jewish state of Israel and the Jewish people? That's the poll question. Be sure to answer it after the broadcast is over today. On our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Prophecy Today, we have Prophecy Today Intelligence Briefing. Be sure to go to my YouTube channel and subscribe. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I have a conversation on a weekly basis looking at a particular issue are a subject that we want to deal with from a biblical perspective. We're going to do that this week. This last week, Jay Adams, you may recognize that name. We'll tell you more about him in a moment. 
He was the father of biblical counseling. And we're going to deal with that as I have this conversation with David today. But however, David, this week, as usual, we received an email from a listener, once again related to the presidential election and its outcome, and the matter of properly submitting to authorities, as it's mentioned there in Romans chapter 13. What are your thoughts? Well, the email was a bit complicated and really too long to read the whole email on the air, so I'll just summarize most of it. Uh, He wrote, I'm a longtime listener of Prophecy Today. I thank God for the great job you and your partners are doing. I would like to hear your guests' opinions about the misinterpretation of Romans 13, 1-7 by some so-called evangelical organizations who are prematurely insisting that we must submit to the latest popular vote because it is the higher power or governing authority that Romans 13 instructs us to submit to. And then he goes on to note that neither the media nor popular opinion nor the popular vote nor even the president nor Congress nor the Supreme Court are the final authority, but rather it's the law that's the final authority. So, Jimmy, I don't want to get into the weeds too much with this, because this can get really complicated with intertwined philosophical and theological and legal aspects. And, of course, sincere people can come to different conclusions. So, while I would agree that the media is the final authority, they are afforded a role in the overall system and process because of the First Amendment. And in a representative republic, the popular vote, the Electoral College, and all three branches of government, those work together with established law to be the final authority. In other words, it's the entire system working together. So however this all shakes out, we submit to the authorities over us up to the point when we have to choose to obey God or man. That's exactly what uh, Peter and John said. Whether to obey man, it's up to you. But then we decided we're going to obey God there in Acts chapter 4. Very interesting passage of Scripture to read. Well, David, as we mentioned last week, Jay Adams went home to be with the Lord. And many of our listeners will recognize that name as he was the most well-known as a pioneer in the field of biblical counseling. Talk about Jay a moment. Well, I didn't know Jay Adams personally, but I did have him as a professor some 35 years ago when uh, my wife and I were students at the Word of Life Bible Institute back in the mid-1980s. He taught the main course on biblical counseling for a number of years at the Bible Institute, and the textbook for his course was the book that he's probably most well-known for, and that's titled Competent to Counsel. And that book sort of laid the foundation for the whole biblical counseling movement after it was published in 19. 19- And that course certainly laid a foundation for much of my own personal ministry over the last 33 years, as I'd only been saved a little over a year when my wife and I went to the Bible Institute. So Dr. Adams was 91 when he died last weekend, and so he was in the same generation as were many of the men we've discussed over the years when they've moved from this life to be with the Lord. And we've lost so many giants of the faith. Now, one thing that is different about Dr. Adams 
Adams, though, as compared to others that we've discussed, is that he was not a dispensationalist, and in fact, he was fully reformed in his theology, which I would describe in simple terms as being a combination of five-point Calvinism and covenant theology, which has a completely different approach to interpreting the Scriptures when it comes to prophetic passages. David, I want to get to Dr. Adams' approach to interpreting the Scriptures in a moment. Let me just say something personally. I had the opportunity to meet and be a part of the activities that Dr. Adams was involved in at the Word of Life Inn there in Scroon Lake, New York. My wife Judy and I were host and hostess at the Word of Life Inn, and Dr. Adams would come often in the summertime for the Bible conference to teach his approach to doing biblical counseling. So, a great man, but, uh, you know, interpretation of Scripture is what we want to look at. But before we do that, can you give us a bit more about his life and his ministry? Sure. Well, Jay Adams had no religious upbringing at all as he was growing up, but he became a believer in his uh, mid to late teens by reading a Gideon's New Testament that had been given to his father during World War One, and he started attending a church where the Bible was taught. Uh, he graduated from Reformed Episcopal Seminary and then from Johns Hopkins with a Bachelor of Arts in the Classics, and he also had a Master's in Theology from Temple University and a Ph.D. in Speech from the University of Missouri. Missouri. And during his seminary and college years, uh, Dr. Adams preached at country churches and rescue missions and even on the streets. Then in 1952, he became the pastor of a United Presbyterian Church, and because he was theologically conservative, he was quickly embroiled in a conflict because he opposed the proposed merger with a liberal denomination. Then in 1963, he became the pastor of an Orthodox Presbyterian Church in New Jersey and started teaching homiletics at Westminster Seminary, which is in the Philadelphia area. He also taught pastoral theology, which included counseling, and and, uh, that was a course that no one else wanted to teach. And since he had no experience teaching counseling, he had to teach the previous teacher's notes, and he thought that they were theologically weak. So he determined to diligently study the whole topic before teaching the course the next year. And the rest, as they say is history, as this marked the beginning of what came to be known as Nuthetic Counseling. Well, now let's take a moment concerning his approach to the Scriptures. I want to know how is it that J. Adams was so conservative in so much of his theology related to counseling, and yet was so far off in his eschatology? And of course, we know that he was not the only one like that. Well, that's a great question, and actually similar to one I was asked about covenant theology recently, because I think some dispensationalists have the idea that if you're not dispensational in your eschatology, that you must be liberal and not take the Bible seriously, and that's not necessarily the case. You know, our listeners have heard us talk many times, Jimmy, about the fact that you and I and other dispensationalists use a literal, grammatical, historical, hermeneutic, or method of interpretation. And and to that, I would add the word consistently. We consistently use literal, grammatical, historical methods of interpretation for the entire Bible. But on the other hand, someone who holds the covenant theology must abandon that method of interpretation in favor of a spiritualized theological hermeneutic when it comes to prophetic passages. And that's especially true of those passages that have to do with promises related to Israel that 
will be fulfilled yet in the future during the millennial reign of Christ here on the earth. And these get spiritualized as somehow being fulfilled in the church, even though it's clear the biblical writer intended them to be understood literally, and that's how the original readers would have understood them as well. So, for example, there are promises of a literal kingdom with Israel occupying a piece of real estate from the Nile to the Euphrates River, with Jerusalem being the capital of both that nation and the world. And there's just no way for some someone to really spiritualize those away and stay true to the Word of God. David, I'm sure that both of us can come to an understanding of how people can come to those conclusions. But let's set that aside for a moment and get back to the matter of biblical counseling. You use the word nuthetic. What does that word mean and how does it apply to biblical counseling? Well, the word nuthetic comes from the Greek noun nuthesia and the Greek verb form, which is nuthateo, and it's used primarily by Paul where it's usually translated as admonish, correct, or instruct. So the verb form is found, for example, in Romans fifteen fourteen, which says this, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish, nuthateo, one another. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.12, Paul speaks of the role of the spiritual leaders in the church when he writes, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Again, same word. And Jay Adams puts it this way, the three ideas found in the word nuthesia are confrontation, concern, and change. To put it simply, nuthetic counseling consists of lovingly confronting people out of deep concern in order to help them make those changes that God requires. And so, Jimmy, a key foundational component of nuthetic counseling is a belief in the nature of the Scriptures themselves, their inspiration, inerrancy, infallibility, authority, and sufficiency. 2 Timothy 3.15 says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so this means that the best preparation, I would say, for anyone to do genuinely biblical counseling is not to be found in secular psychology and even less psychiatry, but rather in a thorough understanding of God's Word. Absolutely, and I believe that both you and I have appropriated this type of approach to counseling as J. Adams propagated. Well, let me ask one final question. What are the alternatives to biblical counseling that are used in the world today, David, and in the church as well? And what do you see as dangers in these approaches? Well, before I get to answering that specific question, I I wanted to mention that we're not talking about identifiable medical conditions where something is physically wrong that needs to be treated by medical doctors. Those uh, need to be eliminated first. But mental illness is something that can't be defined because it's subjective, and there are as many opinions as there are psychologists. Concerning counseling in the world, one biblical counseling ministry article puts it this way, traditional psychological counseling makes an earnest attempt to 
to help hurting people find wholeness as it employs over 200 different, sometimes conflicting psychological approaches for diagnosis and treatment. And that writer goes on to say, psychological counselors will select from Freud, Jung, uh, and Adler's differing approach to psychoanalysis, Skinner's behavioral modification, Rogerian reflection, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, etc., or even mix and match differing psychological approaches as they attempt to assist those in need. And finally, the writer says that it's important to note, however, not only were these well-known psychologists and psychiatrists not Christians, but in many cases their moral foundations and approach to the human condition were the antithesis of biblical thinking. So, Jimmy, a problem in the church is that people try to Christianize this and end up with what's called integrated counseling, trying to mix the world's philosophy and wisdom with biblical truth, but that's like trying to mix oil and water. We need to stick with the Word of God. Absolutely. And I think the approach to counseling, neuthetic counseling, biblical counseling, is anybody and everybody's best approach to doing that, especially those who are leaders in the local church. David, I thought this was a very important conversation we had. We needed to help everybody understand the best approach, a biblical approach to counseling, because many of us, and in fact, the Bible exhorts all of us, First Peter chapter 5, to help build the body of Christ. And that will mean that we have to have sometimes counsel them on a wrong direction they may be going. Thank you, David. A great, great uh, insight from what you gave us today. Appreciate it. Looking forward to another conversation next week. Thanks, Jimmy. Great to be with you again. We're going to take a break, and when I come back, I'm going to open the Bible. See, we talked about going to the Bible. We're going to open the Bible and look at the eschatological events coming out of the current events that we reported today. That's upcoming in a moment right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. 
This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Today on Prophecy Today weekend, we had our six broadcast partners come to the broadcast table with outstanding reports, insight into the current events happening in our world today. Remember, these current events are actually setting the stage for the prophetic scenario foretold in the prophetic passages of God's Word. May I suggest that you go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then go to Prophecy Today Radio Network. There you'll be able to listen to any and all of these reports and do that at your convenience. And be sure to tell a friend or a family member about these reports. They need to understand what's going on in this world that is setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Now, please, if you will, listen to my prophetic perspective on these reports from my broadcast partners. Ken Timmerman covers the geopolitical activities in the world. His first headline, the Saudis are very fearful of the fact that Joe Biden may renew the Iranian nuclear deal. Now, here's my prophetic perspective. This would be very bad for Israel, but it would also be bad for the entire Middle East and, in fact, the world. It is tangible evidence that political leaders will make political decisions to set prophecy in place. Uh, That's Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17. That's why it is key we make certain that we put in these positions those who have a biblical worldview. But either way, God will cause them to make the right political decision for his plan to be fulfilled. David Dolan gives us his Middle East news update each week, and his main story was Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, made a visit to Israel and also to Judea and Samaria. This was an historic visit to the Jewish settlements in Judea and Samaria. I want to tell you it's actual confirmation of God's word Ezekiel chapter 34, where God said he would give this piece of real estate to the Jewish people. But it's a commitment that America has made to the Jewish state of Israel and the Jewish people. Both of these items are key to the end time scenario found in God's word. I want to praise the Lord for Pompeo's historic visit to Judea and Samaria and then into the Golan Heights. Winky Madad, a longtime friend and broadcast partner right here on Prophecy Today, came to compare Hanukkah, which is a Jewish holy day, upcoming in December, December 10 to 18, 
and he and I compared Hanukkah to the Christian Thanksgiving. You know, there is no Thanksgiving Day in the Jewish calendar of their holidays, but Hanukkah is a time of thanks. The Jewish people give thanks to the Lord for keeping his promises to them to protect them, to provide for them. I remind you that is exactly what the Lord has done for you and me as Christians. And we also must be thankful, especially on this upcoming Thanksgiving Day. But I would suggest we should do it every day as well. John Rood is the man who covers the European Union for us. John said the European Union is calling for unity with the United States against China. Boy, that is a very important report. The European Union has 27 member states and is a very powerful political entity. However, so is China. Thus, the European Union wanting the United States to join them against China. Remember, however, prophetically, the European Union will become the revived Roman Empire that will be a political power during the seven-year tribulation period. And at the end of that time, the Lord will allow China, the kings of the east, to come into Jerusalem for the purpose of trying to stop the return of Jesus Christ. We had a conversation with Sharom Hadian. He has a ministry witnessing to Muslim people endeavoring to try to bring them to Jesus Christ. But our focus was on Muslims who helped Joe Biden in his campaign to become president. And now Biden has made a commitment to make Muslims a major power in his upcoming administration at all levels. By the way, millions of Muslims have come to America. My question would be, why? Well, as we were told in our conversation with Sharam, the eschatology in the Muslim world is to overthrow all nations in this world and set up a worldwide caliphate, a worldwide kingdom. With a Joe Biden administration full of Muslims with that same desire, America could be brought down and in the near future. David James and I stopped to remember a man, Dr. J. Adams, who was known as the father of biblical counseling. His approach, Nuthetic Counseling, that word N-O-U-T-H-E-T-I-C, Nuthetic Counseling, is using the Word of God to give counsel to those that need it. You must remember 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says that all Scripture, God's Word, is given for you and me to be able to know the right direction in which we should go. May I suggest that you go to my website, prophecytoday.com. There you'll be able to listen to any and all of these reports and do that at your convenience. You know, I often say on this broadcast that the stage is being set for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And each week, as we receive our reports from our broadcast partners, these prophecies and their fulfillment come much better into focus. That was the case this week. And again, I'm going to remind you that the next event, the rapture of the church, 
could happen at any moment, maybe even today. John's prayer was, even so come, Lord Jesus. That's my prayer, and it basically leaves me with nothing else to say, except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.